Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Today we're presenting our third live episode of Debunked. That's the only Utah podcast combining evidence-based health practices with storytelling to challenge the stereotypes and debunk the myths about harm reduction, substance use disorders, and homelessness. And today we're uh, debunking the myth, homeless people are lazy and don't want to work. And uh, we welcome uh, back debunked host Don Lyons. Don, uh, good to talk to you again. Hey, Tom, good to be with you again. Look forward to today. So, uh, Don, tell us, uh, remind us a little bit about yourself. All right. Well, yeah, good afternoon, everybody. Good morning uh, for you all. My name is Don Lyons. I'm a citizen of Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe, and I have the honor and privilege to be a co-host for a debunked podcast along with yourself, Tom, and look forward to have discussions and interactions with people to explore some complex things um, and highlight stories. So look forward to being with you today. Thank you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. Um, and Don, I think you've uh, you're you want to welcome in our guests. Yeah, right on. Thanks, Tom. And we have a privilege of having uh, Heidi uh, Fuger with us and Peggy Green. And uh, Heidi and Peggy, thank you so much for taking time with us today uh, out of your schedule and sharing um, what you do and some of your your stories. So we wanted the listeners to get to know you just a little bit uh, before we dive into the uh, questions here. So I'm gonna start with. Uh, with Heidi, um, Heidi, if you can uh, introduce yourself to the listeners and maybe share why you're here today and, and sharing uh, your story on uh, Debunked with us. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity of being So, yeah, my name is I live in and I'm a certified peer support specialist with USARA. Um, and USARA support advocates for recovery. Um and yeah, I'm my personal experience and um, hope my insight can spur- spread some compassion and understanding. Uh, Heidi, just a just a note, um, you're dropping out a little bit. The sound's dropping out. Uh, I wonder maybe you hold the, the phone close to your mouth or, or something. Um, yeah, sorry about that. Okay, Is yeah. That better? Uh, well, that's uh, sounding a little better. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully the phone line will hold up for us here. <laughs> go, Don, right. go, go ahead, Don. All right, no problem. That's the tech world we live in there, Heidi. Uh, so thank you so much for being on here, and, and uh, we look forward to sharing your stories. And thank you for the strength uh, and willingness to share your story as well. Uh, our other guest here is Peggy Green, and Peggy does some dynamic work. Uh, in Utah. And uh, Peggy, if you can uh, introduce yourself uh, for the listeners today. I can. Good morning, Tom, Don, and Heidi. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. My name is Peggy Green. I am the Executive Director of Iron County Care and Chair in Cedar City, Utah. And we are a temporary emergency shelter. We also have a food pantry that supports about 1,500 families in Iron County each year. We offer case management and housing assistance and other essential and wraparound services for those living in extreme poverty, homelessness, um, and crisis. And so I'm glad to be here today. Thank you. Thanks so much, Peggy, uh, and for the work that you do, and we look forward to learning more about what you do and uh, sharing with the, with the folks in Utah there. 
So I think I'm going to pass it back to my partner in crime here, Tom, to start us off. Okay, thanks. Questions. So, thanks. Uh, go thanks. ahead, Tom. Thanks, Don. Appreciate that. I want to start with Heidi. Uh, tell us how your substance abuse disorder, uh, how did that affect your ability to find and keep housing? Um, yeah, so I think substance use disorder affected every aspect of my life. Um, the biggest factor in hindsight, I believe, was the, the lack of basic life skills, just prioritizing needs, budgeting money. Um, those types of things prevented me from maintaining housing like some others um, were a criminal record that related to my substance use prevented me from finding housing. Yeah, that would make it more difficult, wouldn't it? Um, and and so uh, maybe uh, tell us what a, I don't know, uh, typical uh, effort to find housing, but uh, uh, tell us a little bit more about, about the obstacles. Um, yeah, so... I, I, uh, you know, I, I did have a job while, while I was um, searching for housing and, and while I was living, you know, when, once I did obtain housing, uh, just I, I wasn't able to budget it, you know. Um, I would always be spending my money on substances, and then at the end of the month, I didn't have enough to, to cover rent. Um, and then also, while I was putting in applications for housing, um, you know, the fact that I did have criminal charges on my record because of substance use, uh, that did prevent me from from gaining housing. So when you couldn't find housing, what did you do? Where did you live? Um, several times I, I have been homeless. I, one instance, I did stay at the shelter um, downtown. Other times I was staying with family members or friends, and I also lived in a tent for quite a while. Hmm. Uh, so what was it like, uh, what is it like uh, trying to find housing in Moab? It's very difficult. Um, there is the, the cost of living here is pretty expensive. It's a tourist town, and there's maybe like four low-income rental properties. When I, I did go to the housing authority and I was on, like, they have a, a waiting list for these properties. I was on for about nine months, the waiting list, and then once I did come up, uh, my name come up, I, I was denied because of my credit. I, don't, I didn't have very good credit. It's something I've been working on since then, but I didn't have a good credit history, so I was denied um, for those low-income properties. I did appeal that application, and, and that was eventually overturned. Uh, but I had to, I had to, you know, kind of prove myself that I that uh, I was worthy, I guess, of having housing. Hmm. Uh, so I want to turn uh, to uh, Peggy. Um, I want to maybe have you address uh, what Heidi just said uh, there that she she had to uh, prove herself worthy of, of uh, having housing. That, that seems like it's uh, opposite of, of what you want to do if you get people into housing, right? Exactly. And that's something I think that I feel like I repeat uh, often. Um, we, we need to have strategies and support and systems that serve the individuals that they're meant for uh, properly. And that means uh, not adding additional obstacles um, not, uh, you know, 
we all have hiccups in life and they don't need to be permanent blemishes. Um, and if we are truly trying to help out uh, and, and provide housing, provide support, um, we need to have things in place that support landlords, uh, that, that, that honor what they're trying to do and give them support um, so that when Heidi or other individuals um, in similar situations are looking to break a cycle, to make changes, um, to get a roof over their heads so that all of the other things uh, can be tackled in their lives, that they can uh, not be on the streets and be vulnerable. Um, we need to have those things in place. Um, I'm not quite sure uh, where we got off track, um, but we're off track. Uh, but I think the encouraging thing is that, uh, it, it, for example, in our community, we're seeing examples of landlords that are going a different direction and that are saying, you know, you're working with a case manager. You've got some rental support. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to, to give you that opportunity, and, and we're going to walk this road together. Um, and so for me, that's encouraging. But we really have to have systems that do right by people. By the way, I just want to ask a parenthetical question, Peggy. Um, so your organization serves four counties, right? Beaver, Garfield, Iron, and Kane, some 18,000 square miles. This is generally mostly Correct. rural, right? And I, I think we, we have a misconception sometimes that homelessness is an urban problem. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about, about that. Sure. Uh, as you can imagine, that's an expansive area. Uh, if you're familiar with Utah, if you're, if you're familiar with those counties, you know how beautiful the expansive area is. And so a natural inclination of our friends living in homelessness is to really um, isolate and to, to move themselves to outer-lying areas even as big as that 18,000 square miles is. And so for us, outreach can be difficult. Um, not having regular contact with those living in homelessness to build trust uh, and to show them that we have systems in place and support for them. Um, the other thing that that does for us is it really uh, heightens the need for education uh, and further understanding of our communities. We don't have a tent city on Main Street. We don't have a large focal point of homelessness uh, in any of those counties. Uh, as I mentioned, folks, um, you know, push out to the recreational areas. Heidi mentioned that she lived in a tent in what, you know, while she was in Moab. That's, that's a, a, a common occurrence. And so without having that visibility, it's difficult for us to explain to our community that homelessness does exist and that housing is an issue. Um, so we, I think, have learned early on that we knew we wanted to, as a community, do something different and think outside the box. We sort of have to do the same thing with our education as well uh, to make sure that our community understands what it looks like in rural Utah, because it does look different, and in most cases, it's invisible. Right. Uh, Heidi, uh, can you describe a time where you experienced a stigma related to having substance abuse disorder when you were seeking housing? Yeah, um, so the one instance I was speaking about before, um, when I was denied for my credit 
Um, and the appeals process, what that looked like for me, I, I was in drug court at the time, um, family drug court, and um, I had to provide documentation from my therapist that um, kind of like a progress report, what I was doing in therapy. And also from my, uh, the drug court team, of, you know, showing that I was in compliance and um, also, you know, um, other times like going into uh, different housing places and, and um, just nothing really, I guess, directly was said, but just the, the, the image that I felt like when walking in and, and not having showered or, you know, being presentable. Um, I feel like my application was just kind of brushed aside before in the past. And uh, these are so a lot of these are difficulties that are you have to work extra hard to overcome, right? Yeah, yeah. I felt like they were, you know, um, starting from scratch, you know, starting with nothing, and and um, just climbing out of that was was very very difficult for me. Hmm. Uh, Peggy, can you uh, speak to how stigma has impacted the homeless population? I can. Um, you know, just in, in poking around a little bit um, in preparation for our conversation today, I, I happened upon something from the Rough Institute of Global Homelessness that really struck me, uh, and that is homelessness sits at the nexus of stigma, isolation, and vulnerability. And even though homelessness can be highly visible, um, passersby often ignore individuals or subject them to stares, reinforcing their outsider status, uh, either by making them invisible or making them visible only through negative attention. Um, and I think, I think we've got to get past the stigmas in order to get our effective work done and to make real change. Uh, we have to be able to look at individuals as individuals and to be able to take them from the point where they're at and and support them moving forward. Um, I, you know, often you hear people say, uh, as, and as we're, you know, discussing, homeless people are, are lazy. Why don't people just get a job? Well, we hear examples all the time of how it's not easy to get a job. Uh, when you're living in homelessness or in crisis or with mental health or with substance abuse or other trauma. Um, we've got to take away the stigma and, as I said, meet people where they are and help them move forward from that point and not keep referring back to the past. Mm -hmm. Uh, we're going to go to break next. Uh, when we come back, uh, Don, uh, our host of the podcast, will uh, will take the next section. But uh, before we go to break, uh, Don, I wondered if you had any follow-up questions that occurred to you that you wanted to ask either guests on, on this section. Yeah, thanks. I think, Peggy, you've done a great job of, of start tapping into the structural issues that are sometimes invisible if we're not really naming those. And, Heidi, I, I, you know, I'm really thankful that you're willing to share your personal journey and your story uh, through those items. And Heidi, I, I know we're going to dive into uh, some questions here after break, but if you could share just, you know, here, maybe leading us into break, what are some of the things that helped you kind of climb out of the situation that you were in? Was it a personal connection to somebody? Was it a specific a resource? Um, you know, what was it that really helped you um, get you on your feet? Absolutely. Thank you. Um 
For me, I think that uh, USARA, I, I had a peer recovery coach at the time who never gave up on me. She she met, we, met me where I was at and kind of just sat with me in the hard times and helped me to figure out uh, a path in order to get back on my feet. She she actually helped me with the appeal process in that housing um, situation, and and I just feel super, super grateful to be a part of an orga- organization that helped me change my life so much. I really think that um, having just one person to connect to in that moment when I felt so alone was a hu- played a huge role in, in me believing in myself and, and knowing that I can get through anything. Fantastic. Thank you, Heidi. I've seen that humanity in each other and someone willing to meet you where you're at, as Peggy mentioned, is, is, uh, does a, goes a long way for us in helping each other. Uh, so with that, I think, Tom, we might be ready for a break, huh? Yes. Uh, Set scene again here. We're, uh, if you just joined us, we are uh, presenting a live episode of the podcast Debunked. Uh, this third uh, live episode here on uh, that we've done on uh, Access Utah, and we have with us uh, debunked uh, podcast host Don Lyons, and uh, our certified peer support specialist Heidi Fuger, and Peggy Green, who's executive director of Iron County Care and Share. They provide homeless outreach services in uh, five of Utah's rural southwest counties. Uh, we'll be back following this break. Support for Utah Public Radio programming comes from our members and the USU Lyric Repertory Company, presenting All the Way, a prequel to 2019's presentation of The Great Society, depicting LBJ's first term in office as he works to establish the Civil Rights Act of 1964, June 16th through July 17th. Details at lyricrep.org. Support also comes from Cash Arts, presenting the Music City Hitmakers, award-winning songwriters the Warren Brothers performing the songs they penned for Nashville's most notable stars, reimagined for Symphony. June 26th at 7.30 p.m. Tickets at CashArts.org. Hey, it's Francis Lamb. This week on our show, we're firing up the coals to get grilling with James Beard award-winning vegetable genius Ashley Christensen. We'll talk marinades with Hmong chef Yia Vang, and we take your questions with grilling expert Doc Willoughby. It's coming up on The Splendid Table. Tune in Sunday at noon here on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah today. Uh, we are presenting a live episode today of the podcast Debunked. Debunked is the only Utah podcast combining evidence-based health practices and storytelling to debunk myths about harm reduction, substance use disorders, and homelessness. And uh, Debunked was created by Utah State University Office of Health Equity and uh, Community Engagement and Tribal and Rural Opioid Initiative and uh, made possible by uh, SAMHSA and the Utah Public Radio and Community Partners. And uh, we have with us uh, debunked podcast host Don Lyons, also certified peer support specialist Heidi Fuger and Peggy Green, executive director of Iron County Care and Share. And uh, so, uh, Don, I believe you were going to take the next section. All right. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, we did a, a great job. You know, Peggy, you gave the, like, the structural elements of it and Heidi the personal elements of it. And I want to go to uh, Peggy with this next question here, because right before break, Heidi talked about uh, a specific resource that kind of helped her get her on her feet. 
And Peggy, from your perspective, you know, supporting the program and organizations and supporting a vast number of, uh, you know, geographical areas, what are some resources, either specific or some general ones, in addition to the peer support that might be helpful, that you have seen be helpful uh, for people to get on their feet? I think one of the things that we've found most useful in our areas have been uh, anything that involves networking. So just looking at the, you know, a basic business principle, um, it's what it takes in our community is is um, connecting yourself to individuals that can bring you uh, into experiences, uh, bring you into employment, uh, bring you into programs you may not have access to, uh, and and really working those personal connections um, so that you're able to share your story so that individuals are able to see your skills and experience and successes firsthand. Uh, along with that, I think the support pieces that organizations build in um, to housing programs uh, can be used individually, but also in conjunction to housing as well. So anything that helps provide those vital services that are important to uh, be a successful employee or member of our community, transportation, um, recovery services, uh, you know, access to things that um, you need to support yourself and, and to carve your pathway and to stay, you know, self-sustainable. Um, but it really is uh, individual choice built on relationships. All right. Yeah, relationships and networking. I and when you were sharing, Peggy, I'm thinking of a, a community of reciprocity um, that's really um, kind of a natural law of doing things. So thank you for sharing that. Heidi, um, you've, you know, you're willing to share your personal story and aspects of it, of, uh, you know, how you're able to maneuver during uh, various forms of crisis that in your life. And now you're able to support others as a uh, peer recovery uh, support system. I'm curious from your perspective, you know, how, how does that feel? How does that? What does that mean to you to be able to uh, provide that support to others that might have been in your similar uh, position? It feels surreal, honestly. I I feel very blessed to be where I'm at today. I I wouldn't be where I'm where I am without the support of of my recovery coach. And so um, when I'm able to help others kind of navigate their way, it, it reminds me of where I've come from. And and I am very hopeful that I can help these other individuals find their way because I'm living proof that recovery is possible and that sustainable housing is possible and, you know, that change is possible. Yeah, thank you for that. It's feasible and possible, and yes, 100%. And again, thank you for willing to share aspects of your story. I want to uh, kind of shift gears just a little bit here because debunked is looking at harm reduction uh, and homelessness and, and issues of poverty uh, in Utah communities. And I'm curious to get, and I'll go with Peggy first here on this question, uh, harm reduction. When people say harm reduction, what does that, what does that mean to you and how would you describe it to others? For me and and for what we do through our organization, it's acknowledging that 
not one way is the way. Um, that um, moving through crisis, coming out of substance abuse, coming uh, or, or challenging your mental health issues um, are it's the way that you want to do it individually and that what we need to do then as allies and support pieces are, are you know, building something um, that addresses the realities of, uh, you know, all of these obstacles um, and making it okay to move forward the way that an individual needs to. Um, again, there is no one way. Um, and and it can't be a, a top-down program. It has to be uh, an establishment of a relationship. It has to be interactive, and it has to put the individual in the driver's seat in so many in so many respects um, to be successful. Right, meeting people where they're at and creating that space um, to uh, move forward. Thank right. you. And, and Peggy, if I could stay with you for a, a second here, because I'm, I'm feeling, you know, folks that might be listening to this, they might have family members or know people that are experiencing uh, moments of crisis, and they would want to know, what, what can I do? What's a practical step that I could do to support or help somebody? Um, so if you could share, just from your perspective, running the organizations, what you've seen, and also I have this question for Heidi here, uh, but from your perspective, Peggy, what are some some practical steps, some things that people out there listening that could do to help, uh, you know, tackle these issues of homelessness? I think the first key is listening. Um, when you have um, someone such as Heidi that's willing to share their story, um, it's so important. It's so important for individuals, for family members, for service providers, um, listening first, um, you know, listening to to really what Heidi was up against. What what was the reality of it? How did she feel? Uh, what made a difference to her? Um, focusing on goals and assets. Um, looking at the strengths that, that individuals bring. Um, respecting self-directiveness. Um, being being active but not being overbearing um, and and really focusing on behavior um, and and choices um, I, you know we the old the you know the old saying of you can't change someone until they're ready to change um, for me what that really means is showing up and being there for someone uh, so that I'm there uh, when they need my strength or to lean on me. Um, and I think that's sort of how even our organization goes about it. Um, and, and making sure that, that the individual is honored. Yeah, thanks, Peggy. That's really helpful, I think, for people to um, understand that one of the easiest things and the most practical thing we can do is listen and be present, uh, which sometimes we... We kind of uh, overthink things. And Heidi, if if I can, and, and just in a good way, you know, when you're in the midst of being in in the situation that you were in in crisis, what was something that you were yearning for, or hoping for, that someone was it a listening ear? Was it someone to um, smile or, or say hello? What what was something that uh, you were hoping for 
uh, in the midst of crisis out there. Yeah, um, I think that was beautifully said by Peggy. I think that, you know, just some compassion and understanding was really what helped me, you know, get a, head on the right direction. Um, having somebody listen to where I was at and, and just, you know, less stigma around my situation. Um, and someone just allowing me space to grow and change my life. Um, and to see within myself that I was capable of doing that and to help, you know, guide me and just, just be there to support me in, in the decisions that I wanted to make but didn't believe in myself in making. Thanks so much, Peggy and Heidi, for, uh, for sharing that perspective and thoughts on that. I wanted to get to the heart of the matter of the myth that we're looking at debunking today, uh, you know, and that's the myth that homeless people are lazy and don't want to work. So saying that, what would you say to people who believe that myth, that homeless people are lazy and don't want to work? And I'll first go to Peggy. Oh, you went to me because you know this one fires me up, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I can hear the passion. Share the passion, Peggy. <laughs> uh, so first, no one, no one wants to be homeless. I can, I can nearly guarantee you that. Um, and when you fall into crisis, um, and I'm not quite sure how, how we lose this when we look at other human beings, when you fall into crisis, interesting things happen. And I know at the top I mentioned, you know, um, isolation and vulnerability. Um, I, I don't know of anyone that would choose the life of homelessness. Uh, ex- you know, extreme heat and cold, uh, you know, lack of safety, um, not, you know, being sure of anything in your life, uh, not knowing where your money and your food comes from, um, not living in cleanliness or the best of, of health situations. So I'm also, uh, I also don't run into a lot of employers that embrace someone who walks into their place of employment that may smell of their own bodily fluids or and or be um, under the influence uh, in extreme crisis and say, you know what, I would like to hire you immediately. So when I hear folks say homeless people are lazy, they don't want to work, um, I'm not sure how we expect other human beings to operate in extreme crisis. Um, you know, as an employer, uh, I occasionally get calls from individuals that say, you know, I'm a little bit of a headache. I'm not coming in today. Uh, so when I look at the two examples, um, I get discouraged and I get a little fired up. Um, so until we're willing to meet people where they're at, and I know I've repeated that, uh, and do what the individual needs to, to, to lift themselves, um, we're not allowed to make that statement. Yeah, I think you can continue to repeat that, Peggy, because I think that's an important element of meeting people uh, where they're at. We talk, You talked about that as a form of that's one of the elements of harm reduction. It's also one of the forms of trauma-informed and resilient-based uh, support is understanding and meeting people where they're at. And Heidi, you did an awesome job of explaining, you know, the peer support coach that helped you is recognizing your humanity and seeing you as a human being. 
and uh, working at your readiness level. So Heidi, I want to shift to Heidi on the same question. You know, what would you say uh, to people who believe that myth that almost people are are lazy and, and don't want to work? I'm. This is one I'm pretty passionate about too. I think for myself, like when I was unsheltered, that was the most draining and, um, you know, just so exhausting ever I had ever been in my life. Just living that life was so exhausting for me. There was a point in time when I was working 72 hours a week and I was unsheltered and I just, as soon as, you know, whenever I would get off work, I didn't know necessarily where I would be eating that night or where I would be, you know, sleeping, how the weather conditions would be. And just that stress was so mentally draining on me and, and you know, just mindlessly wandering the streets and not knowing, you know, not having an agenda was so mentally exhausting. And I was, you know, trying, trying, put exhausting all of my efforts, I guess, on just basic survival, that it was so just, I, I keep saying exhausting because it, it is the exact opposite of lazy for me. Like now that I have somewhere to stay, I can come home and just relax. And and relaxing is not something that I ever did when I was unsheltered. Yeah, thank you for that. Yes, real world experience. Um, so, Tom, I, I think we're doing a good job of um, debunking this myth here with Peggy and Heidi's uh, feedback and, and the, hearing the passion and the voice and the work that they're both doing to uh, make the world a better place and specifically looking at the you know, eradication of, of homelessness. Uh, but Tom, is there any other questions you can think of that we can continue to batter down uh, this myth that we're looking at here today? Uh, uh, certainly, but I, I'd like to take a break first. Uh, we're about uh, time for a break. Uh, then we'll come back. Um, I think one thing we want to cover when we come back is uh, what can we all do, right, to support people going through these challenges. I want to follow up a little bit when we come back as well with, with Heidi on, on her experience, um, that, that phrase survival mode. That's just, just totally draining. I, I can just imagine that. Uh, but let's let's take a break. We come back. We'll have our concluding segment. We, this is a live episode of the podcast Debunked, um, and we are talking with the uh, Debunked podcast host Don Lyons. We're talking with certified peer support specialist Heidi Fugger, and with Peggy Green, executive director of Iron County Karen Share. More following this. Span support for Spanish language programming on Utah Public Radio comes from our members and the USU Office of Global Engagement, fostering diversity, inclusion, and cultural awareness by supporting international students and scholars and facilitating study abroad opportunities. Information at globalengagement.usu.edu. Support also comes from Palmer Home Furnishings, offering a variety of sofa love sets, dining room, and bedroom furniture. Located at 1670 South Highway 165 in Providence. Information at palmerhomefurnishings.com. In July 1971, one of the U.S. government's most senior officials, Henry Kissinger, embarked on a secret trip to China, then America's sworn enemy. It's more than just a turning point in the Cold War. I think it's a turning point in, in 20th and 21st century history. How did that secret mission come about? And what's its legacy? When Kissinger Went to China, from the BBC. Friday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. 
Thanks for listening to Access U Time. Tom Williams, and uh, this is a live episode of the podcast Debunked. We're debunking the myth homeless people are lazy and don't want to work. And we have with us debunked uh, podcast host Don Lyons. We're te- uh, speaking with featured guest and certified peer support specialist Heidi Fuger, and with Peggy Green, executive director of Iron County Care and Share, which provides homeless outreach services in five of Utah's rural southwest counties. Uh, so I want to start this segment uh, with uh, Peggy before we go to uh, follow up with with Heidi. Uh, so, so Peggy, uh, bouncing off of, of some of the experiences that Heidi has shared, uh, maybe tell us a little bit more about some of the uh, some of just the day to day survival mode obstacles that uh, folks living in uh, homelessness have to overcome uh, to in seeking employment and and then holding employment. I think Heidi brought up great examples, um, and I, too, feel the heaviness of, you know, each time she said exhausting. Uh, it is exactly what we see in individuals that we assist in our community, um, is exhausted individuals, you know, overburdened with crisis. Um, and it's so, you know, it really takes uh, patience um, and allowing an individual time uh, to move through those things uh, and, and get past those challenges. Um, you know, just think about all of the ways that we connect, how easy it is um, when you have access. So when you sleep at night, you have proper nutrition, uh, your clothing is clean, you were safe the night before, you weren't um you know, waking up often to make sure that uh, you were safe. Um, uh, your phone, your computer, uh, your car, all of those things uh, that we really do take for granted in, in many situations. Um, and you just think about um, being physically and mentally exhausted and then not having resources, how difficult that then makes everything. Um, you know, the, the times that you're stressed out and you pick up the phone and you call a friend or a relative and you have a five to ten minute conversation, they kind of, um, you know, talk you back out of uh, whatever crisis you may be in at the moment when you don't have access to a support system and you are literally going through those things alone and trying to jump those hurdles, uh, n- not easy to be successful when, when you're solo. Heidi, I'd, I'd like to uh, have you maybe take us through a typical day when you were homeless, you know, living in a tent, recovering from substance abuse. Um, you know, you said you you were working, but maybe take us through the, the some of those things that uh, Peggy was just talking about, including, um, you know, safety. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was always um, a thought in the back of my mind, you know. I I just felt like there was so much tension constantly that it was hard to focus on, you know, day-to-day routine stuff. Uh, So, I mean, a typical day uh, while I was in drug court, there was a lot of requirements, you know. I would have to wake up in the morning and go test UA. Um, And at the time, I didn't have my driver's license. It had been suspended, um, and so I was walking everywhere, and um, I actually at one time I did I had a broken foot, and I I was supposed to be on crutches, but I was walking everywhere, so um, I didn't. I, I just wore a boot, but 
I would walk about a mile to go test in the morning, and then I worked um, about two miles away, so I would walk to work. I did have three different jobs, actually, so I would um, just walking, you know, took some time, and it took up a good portion of my day. Um, I did live, my tent, I mean, was, was set up fairly close to the library, so when I needed to use, like, the restroom or get ready in the morning, I would just go over to the library and get ready. Um, there was, there are also here in Moab, um, like the swimming pool, the aquatic center. I would go there and take a shower, um, and, uh, you know, just kind of on my, on my days off, I would, I would go to, um, that, you know, the housing authority or workforce services. Moab is kind of a small town, so the, I feel like everything is within walking distance, but that be like a five-mile radius, you know. So um, that did take up a good portion of my time is just walking from destination to destination. And all the while, um, there's a big emotional component to this, I imagine, right? Dealing with stigma, uh, dealing with people's attitudes toward you and maybe people putting you in a, a stereotype. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, just feeling like, you know, you're less than, and, and, and these are already thoughts that I'm telling myself, you know, and looking into another human being's eyes and having that kind of validated, I feel was very um, hurtful for me, you know, like it, it kind of kept me in that space because these are already ideas I'm telling myself. I feel very low about myself. And then, to have that kind of validated from society um, was very, very hard to to overcome. So, uh, how do you do it? How did you do it? You, you you reference survival mode, and you know we're not wired for that, right? To to be in survival mode for an incredibly long time. How do you? What are what were the internal resources? Do you do you feel like before we get to external? What were the internal resources you feel like you had to draw on to to keep going with this? Yeah, yeah, it definitely didn't happen overnight for me. Um, I, you know, I felt completely broken. And for myself, I had to look internally and, and I did rely on, you know, my higher power. Um, I, I found strength in, in God for myself and, and you know, um, my peer support specialist. Once I, I had that one connection, you know, like Peggy was saying, just being able to pick up the phone and to call somebody. Um, I didn't have that, you know, so I, I was able to find this connection with one other human being who's seen me the same. She's seen me as, as an individual, and she had compassion and understanding towards me. And being able to, to have that with just that one connection with one person really gave me strength to look inside myself and see my worth. Um, and then from there, it kind of just, I, I was able to make other connections and, and you know, find this strength within myself by, by seeing through others' eyes that I was, you know, a, a person of worth and, and value. I started believing that within myself, and, and it kind of shifted, you know. Um, like I said, a lot of internal work. It didn't happen overnight. But I did start recognizing um, the things that I could do to change my life and, and that I actually could participate in making these changes in my life. I never believed that I could or was worth doing that before. Well, I want to ask both of you, I'll start with Peggy. Uh, what can we do, members of communities, to support people going through these challenges? 
Listen. Listen. Have respect. Have understanding. Uh, find an organization in your community that's doing the work and support them. Um, don't feel as though you have to solve the world solo. Uh, anything that you can bring is important. Find your one thing. Um, find your one thing and focus there. Um, be proactive. Make a commitment. Um, and again, listen and respect. Very good. Uh, sounds like we've lost uh, Heidi. Is that? I'm still here. Oh, we've lost Don. Okay, we'll, we'll try to get Don back. Um, yes, go ahead. Do you have anything else to say, Peggy, on that? No, I think that that's most important to me to share. Okay. Uh, Heidi, same question. What what can we do as members of community support uh, people going through challenges like you went through? I totally agree with Peggy. I think that was very well said. I think, you know, just seeing these people as individuals and meeting them where they're at, having some compassion and understanding and knowing that any of us could be in this situation or circumstance at any time, you know, and just trying to um, reduce stigma, you know, uh, allow a space for these individuals to grow and and support them in any way that we can in, you know, helping them keep themselves safe, helping them make the best choices, educate them on resources that they may not be, you know, know that are available to them. Well, Don, we, we lost you there briefly. Sorry about that. Oh, sorry, I'm back. Yeah, Thanks okay, for going get me. You're, you're back. We went and got you again. That's good. Uh, we have about five minutes left, Don. Any uh, any follow-up questions that you want to ask? Uh, yeah, I do. And this is, I, again, I want to appreciate uh, Peggy and Heidi for taking the time out and sharing your perspectives and your passion in this work that you're doing. It's saving lives and making the world a better place. And I sincerely want to say thank you. Uh, for doing the work. Um, I think you guys were talking about, you know, concrete things, and we talked a little bit earlier, you know, Peggy, some specific things that individuals can do, and Heidi, you shared about what someone did for you uh, to help you out. Uh, I want to take a step back and look at the global uh, picture here, and we started talking a little bit, and Peggy did a great job looking at the structural uh, elements, but if we can look at the global picture of what do we need to do as a as a society, um, as a wider community? Maybe not just in Utah, but you know across the country. Um, of what can we do? What do we? What needs to happen uh, to make issues of homelessness and housing uh, to be less than or look to eradicate those? And I want to start with uh, Peggy. Um. So much, so much to be done, right? Uh, education. Um, so uh, along the lines of listening and having respect, listening and having respect on a, on a large scale um, and educating each other on, on what it truly means to be homeless or to be under the burden of, of substance abuse uh, and what the realities are. Uh, we need more brave Heidi's to share the story because if it, unless we hear it from those individuals that have the real issues, 
we won't understand. We can't guess. Um, but I think we need balance. Uh, we need balance in our world, and we need to somehow um, gather all of the individuals that have this passion and have the understanding uh, and continue to share and educate and somehow uh, weigh heavily on uh, our side of the scale so that we can strike a balance in our world and realize that um, spreading and sharing is more powerful uh, than having things lean towards uh, one or two individuals. Uh, and, and we need, we need to share, uh, and we need to lift each other and empower each other. Uh, and I think that's, I feel like what we're missing in so many cases is a balance. Oh, thank you so much, uh, Peggy. Well said. Um, and Heidi, um, we got a few minutes left here. Uh, before we end the show. And again, thank you for willing to share aspects of your story. Um, if you could share, you know, if there's anything to piggyback of what Peggy shared about the structural, societal things that we need to do, uh, but also be, be willing to share what you think someone needs to hear. Um, you know, you shared aspects of your story. So kind of an open mic here for you, Heidi, to share what do you think needs to be said for people to understand this is an issue and we can do something about it. Thank you. I just, I want to thank you again for the opportunity to share my personal experience. And I really do hope that, you know, I can spread some, some hope and insight. Um, uh, what, what I would say to anyone that's listening that, you know, maybe struggling with some of these issues is that there's hope out there. There's support out there. Um, if I can do it, anyone can do it. Um, and you are worth it, you know, no matter what you're going through. If you woke up and you're breathing today, there's another opportunity. There's another chance, and you don't have to do it alone. You know, um, USARA is available in several different counties in Utah, and, and we're all here, and there's many other resources as well. You know, just reach out, and, and you know, there's always a hand that's willing to help you up. You just have to reach out to grab it. Thank you so much, Heidi and uh, Peggy. And well, Tom, I, I think we we accomplish our mission here to debunk the myth that homeless uh, folks are lazy, don't want to work uh, through the great experience and words by Peggy and the organization that you run, Peggy, the work that you do. And, and Heidi, the work that you do in your personal story really helps to shed light on this, that, um, you know, this is not the reality. And uh, so thank you again for your time. And I'll hand it back to my partner in crime here, Tom, to uh, kind of close us out. Okay, thanks, Don. Appreciate that. Uh, I just want to highlight here, USARA, I just Googled it, myusara.com, I believe is the place to go. Uh, myusara, myusara.com, uh, to give a plug there. Uh, so uh, Don Lyons, uh, debunked uh, podcast host, has been with us. Don, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, Tom. It's been, it's been fun, and uh, thank you again, Peggy and Heidi. Uh, for sharing uh, your stories. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Uh, certified Peer Support Specialist Heidi Fugger has been with us. Thanks so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. We appreciate it as well. Peggy Green, Executive Director of Iron County Care and Share, has been with us. Thank you. Thank you, sir. And uh, this has been a live episode of the podcast Debunked. 
Uh, Debunked is the only Utah podcast combining evidence-based health practices with storytelling to debunk myths about harm reduction, substance use disorders, and homelessness. The Debunked podcast was created by the Utah State University Office of Health Equity and Community Engagement, Tribal and Rural Opioid Initiative, which are housed within the USU Emma Eccles Jones College of Education and Human Services, Department of Kinesiology and Health Science, and USU Extension. And the program is made possible by uh, Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration, Utah Public Radio, and community partners. And we thank you for listening. Thanks for listening today to Access Utah. Support for Utah Public Radio programming comes from our members and Hamilton's at the Country Club. Celebrating Father's Day with a brunch on Sunday, June 20th from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Located at Logan Country Club. Reservations available at 435-753-6020 or by emailing info at cafesabor.com. Northern Utah's Monarchs and Other Winged Wonders celebration is quickly approaching. Utah Public Radio will be there. We're joining the Cache Valley Wildlife Association at the Nibley Heritage Park, Thursday, June 24th from 4 p.m. to dusk. Food trucks, information booths, our UPR storytelling recording tent, where you can share your thoughts about caring for the fireflies and monarchs, all part of this great celebration. We'll see you on June 24th. You're listening to Utah Public Radio, statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, also heard at upr.org.